Thank you. I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2. I find that many people are unaware of some of the ministry of the chapels that we host underprivileged children's homes here. In fact, that's really the reasons the dorms were built uh, 50 some odd years ago. And we've had groups here already. We have them as far away as Canada and sometimes from Oklahoma. Uh, this group uh, was actually from Tennessee. And we, we take them places. We try to roll out the red carpet, give them a vacation they couldn't have otherwise. And they come at no charge. We raise money to fund our ministry to children's homes. And one of the things we do is a few of the groups, we take them to places like Medieval Times. And so we went there this last week. Anybody ever been there, Medieval Times, or something like that? Dixie Stampede or whatever. Well, the difference with Pirates Voyage and Dixie Stampede in Medieval Times is there's actually death involved. Uh, they fight. They joust. Now, it's kind of like professional wrestling, but uh, the, the knights joust and they pick up knives and they throw things and swing things and one of them finally kills the other one. But as soon as the light goes out, you see the guy get up and walk off. So apparently he's only mostly dead. And I thought about that as I was studying this passage for this week because I just saw that Thursday night. And Paul is going to talk about death in this passage. And let me just tell you, you were dead before you came to Christ. He's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus that's going to be read by all the churches in that area. And when he says, and you were dead, he doesn't mean you were mostly dead. He means you were a corpse. So unlike medieval times, because what ought to happen is the stretcher should come out and they should truck that dude off. But he actually comes back and participates in the end of the show. So I'm thinking a miracle has taken place. But a miracle has taken place for us spiritually, and that's what Paul's talking about. Let me read the first three verses of this passage. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and following to chapter 3, verse 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. I'm, I'm going to stop there. Paul didn't stop there. In fact, this is one sentence that we're going to look at this morning, just one sentence. We punctuate it in the English Bible so that you can read it and not have to say it all in one breath. But this is Paul writing to believers. Okay, Not everybody in the church is believers, but he's writing to believers when he says you were all dead. Were. Get that past tense. This is what describes your life previously. Paul says in this passage, here's what the Christian was. In a minute we're going to look at what the Christian now is. And then in verse 7, what he will be. He or she will be. You were dead. Helpless to save yourself. You were dead. The word literally means a corpse. And I realize we've all been at funerals, we've lost loved ones, and this brings up sad memories for us, but you need to let that resonate at least long enough to catch the gist, the power, the impact of what the Apostle Paul is saying. You were dead. What were we dead in? Trespasses and sins. He uses both words. The first word literally is more, could be more of an unintentional error, a side slip, 
a trespass, a transgression. It could be intentional or not. But then he uses the word and sin, which is that word that means to miss the mark. Here's what Paul's saying. Apart from Christ, God had a target for us to hit, and we missed it every time. If we pull back the arrow, it wasn't just we missed the target. The arrow never even got to the target. And so the description that Paul uses is you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. The word that he uses for walked was a word that for the Jew, they recognized the word. That was what they termed, that same term was used for their moral code. This was the habit of their life. This was the discourse, the conversation of their life. And he says there's three things you walked in. So I want you to think about this. Paul talks a lot about walking. And here he's talking about the bad walking we did, but at times he's talking about walking in Christ. And sometimes we think, man, that must be hard. Let's see, walk, put right foot, left foot. No, Paul is saying when it's a Christian walk, it's what ought to come second nature to you. Unfortunately, the first way we were walking was first nature. And that is the way we were born. We were born dead in trespasses and sins. According to the way that we formerly walked, according to the course of this world, Literally, this age, the age that you live in now, we were walking according to that course. Basically, you were worldly. Anything that the world tells you, if you follow that apart from Christ and it takes you further away from God, it's not a good thing. The world just wants you to be comfortable. And I, I listen to conversations and I hear people say things, even in Christian context, well, you know, God, God wouldn't want you to be unhappy, would he? God's not nearly as concerned about your happiness as he is your holiness. In fact, really, God offers something better than happiness. He offers joy, which is not dependent on external circumstances. It's the presence of God in your life that produces that fruit of joy. So if you follow according to the course of this world, you kind of kind of listen to human wisdom. Guess what? Human wisdom is flawed. Human wisdom says things like this. Well, God helps those that help themselves. Y'all ever heard that? Is that in the Bible? This is live. You can talk back. Is that in the Bible? No. <laughs> okay. If you don't hear me say anything else today, maybe it would be good just to start there. The Bible doesn't say God helps those who help themselves. What does it say? God helps those who were dead. God helps the helpless. God's not up in heaven giving us ten rules to live by and saying, if you, if you get these right, then maybe I'll let you come to Christ. No. You were dead. You were following the course of the world. He's writing that to the Ephesians, but he's saying it to us. Before Christ, it's not good news. But Christ came to bring what? Good news. So we were following the course of this world. We were walking according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's he talking about? He's talking about our enemy, the devil. The prince of the power of the air, not confined just to earth, but the air. He is the prince of that. He has limited power for a limited amount of time. Not going to have that power for eternity. But he does have that power for a limited amount of time. And what is he trying to do? He is trying to get you not to come to faith in Christ. And if you don't do come to faith in Christ, what is he trying to do? He's trying to get you not to walk in Christ. Not to enjoy the fruit of the Spirit. Not to be effective in your witness for Christ. And you also walked according to the Spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Paul says, this is what describes your life before you came to Christ. Disbelief. And it was always disbelief towards God. And that's how Satan operates. 
to get you to not believe what God says. And then he says, among them, we too all formerly lived. Paul has said, you are dead, but now he's saying, you know what? That's the truth, whether you're Jew or Gentile, Jew or Greek, whether you lived in Ephesians and grew up a, a Gentile, or whether you lived in Jerusalem and grew up as Paul did as a Jew, Paul is saying, we all walk there. So apply that to yourself. If you've come to faith in Christ, this is what used to describe your life. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, it's bad news. That's who you are. But I got good news. You don't have to stay there. Make it part of your past tense experience, not what's present tense in you. And, and trust me, if you're just kind of following the world, you're going the wrong direction. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, literally a longing for something forbidden. In other words, just doing what feels good. That's, that's another wisdom of the world. Just, hey, whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you feel good, do that. And indulging the desires of the flesh, seeking something with great diligence. This is what makes me happy, so I'm going to pursue that. It may not be right for you, but it's right for me. That's worldly wisdom. That's dangerous. That's what we have been saved from. And not only the flesh, but also of the mind. In fact, I think that's where the battle really starts. We walked according to the desires of our flesh and also of our mind. Satan's supreme purpose is not just to get you to do evil. His purpose is to get you to believe evil about God. That, that's what he did back in the garden. And he hadn't really changed that. Satan's greatest battlefield in your life is right here between your ears. If he can get you to think evil thoughts about God, and you say, well, what does that mean? It means this. With Adam and Eve, what did he get them to think? He came up to Eve and he said, has God told you you shouldn't eat of any tree of the garden? She said, no, he just told us not to eat of this one tree. We can eat of any of them, just not this one tree. And here's what he said. God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be just like him. What's he really saying to her and what does he say to us when he tries to affect our minds? He's trying to say, God's holding out on you. God's got something good, and he doesn't want you to have it. And if you eat of this fruit, you're going to be happier. You're going to be more fulfilled. You'll be a better woman. You'll be a better man. And so Satan wants you to believe lies about God, and he's pretty effective at it. Especially if you're following the course of this world, right? If you follow the wisdom of the world, you're going to believe lies about God. And some of them sound spiritual. You can even hear them on the television from a preacher. <laughs> so be careful. Paul says we all walked in that manner at one time in our life. We were by nature children of wrath. You're not just a sinner because you sin. You're a sinner because you were born that way. We were born into sin. I'm a born sinner. Left to, be, to do what comes natural, I will sin. And that goes against popular thinking in, in some schools. I heard a teacher say this one time. You know what? If you just leave kids alone, they have a tendency to do the right thing. Why are y'all laughing? It's because you've been around kids. I've raised four of them. Nobody had to teach them to do the wrong thing. It comes naturally. They get it from their father and their mother. That's the way we're born, and yet that's kind of the wisdom of the world. 
And Paul says, we're by nature children of wrath. And I want you to get this. God is a God of wrath. God hates sin. Too many people think of God as Mr. Rogers. Okay, y'all y'all know who Mr. Rogers is, right? Cardigan sweater. Some people kind of think oh, he's just going to kind of Phil Donahue. I'll, I'll use a real old illustration. I remember Phil Donahue was debating some preachers one time. He said, here's how I think it's going to go down. When you finally face God, I think he's just going to say, come on. You're right, everybody's welcome into heaven. No, God is a God of wrath. He's also a God of love who's paid the penalty for that wrath. He's, he's taken care of the wrath. It's taken out of the way. But you've got to understand something. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 says, It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Why? Because without Christ, you face God and receive wrath. And what Paul's trying to get the Ephesian believers to see is that's who you used to be. You don't have to dwell there. You don't have to keep your gaze focused on that. Every now and then it, it's helpful to remember that. But also, church, if there's any among you who, are, who aren't believers, that's who you are right now. So there's good news. Enough about death and the bad stuff. Let's look at verse 4. Two of my favorite words in all of Scripture. But. Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Did you get the picture? If this was a before or after picture, the before picture is a corpse. How much can a corpse do? Nothing. So we were helpless. We couldn't seek God. We couldn't come to God on our own. It was because God drew us to himself. And the two words, but God, being rich in mercy. God steps in and does what only God can do. Only the offended can offer forgiveness, and only forgiveness brings true reconciliation. And that's what God's been about, is reconciling you to himself. God, rich in mercy. I, I just love Ephesians more than just about any other. I don't know that Paul writes this way with these superlatives and these adjectives to punctuate and add impact and power to his words. He isn't just merciful, he's rich in it, literally abounding Limitless, measureless mercy. What does the word mercy mean? Well, it's most often translated compassion, but it helps me to translate it this way. It means not, not receiving what you deserve. What do I deserve? Well, the Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. I was born dead. I deserve to stay dead. I deserve to spend eternity separated from God. If you get caught doing 115 miles an hour in a 15-mile-an-hour school zone, you're not going to the judge and say, I demand justice. <laughs> because what would justice be? Give us your license. You're not getting them back ever. In fact, you can't even ride in a car for the rest of your life. 
In fact, we're going to make you a crossing guard at the school zone. That would be justice. What is mercy? You throw yourself on the mercy of the court and you say, Judge, I know I messed up. Don't give me what I deserve. That's mercy. And God is rich in mercy. It's a demonstration of His love. He's rich in mercy. Why? Because of His great love. I want you to hear this. Our rebellion is not just against His Lordship. We rebel against His love. Paul says He's rich in mercy because of His great love. And here's here's this picture. Even when you were dead, He made you alive. Romans 5.8. God demonstrated His love toward us. God proved. He showed His love toward us in what? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Again, God didn't say, hey, y'all better get your act together. I'm willing to send my son to die on the cross, but you're going to have to put a little effort into this. He didn't wait. He didn't do that. Even when we were walking away from God, He sent Jesus to die for us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Even when we were enemies of God. He died. Why? Because He's rich in mercy. And He's rich in mercy because He loves you. Isn't that amazing? It is not natural to love something or someone that hates you. But that's God. Even when you were dead, he made us alive. I love the three things that Paul's about to demonstrate here. He talked in the past, in the first three verses, about three things that we're walking in that are leading us away from God. Look at the three things he's done. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive. you got to understand something. Only the dead can be made alive. But in Christ, through the power of God, you as a dead person can be made alive. You're alive because of grace. When I want you to picture it this way. When Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, he was dead. He wasn't mostly dead. He didn't swoon. He didn't go to sleep. He wasn't taking a nap. He wasn't in a coma. He was dead. And God made him alive again and raised him up. When he raised him up, he raised you up. In his economy. And it's by grace. Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. And our world struggles with grace. We struggle with having to earn things. We discover, we struggle with only, I, I don't deserve that. What is grace? It is God's free, undeserved gift. Let me show you how the world doesn't understand this. Last, I think it was Friday, we had, it was National Donut Day. Did y'all know that? How many of you got a donut on Friday? How many of you paid for your donut? All right, there were two donut places. One's over in this area, and seriously, where we live, there's one over here, one over here. Over here, they offer free donuts. Over here, they also say they're offering free donuts, but there's a catch. Over here, if you just walk in, National Donut Day, you get a free donut. Do you have to buy anything? No. Do you have to pay anything? No. Give me a free donut. Over here, your free donut costs you a small beverage. Is that free? No. 
And in case somebody's here that works for that establishment, I won't, I won't say the name. Starts with a D. <laughs> and ends in Unkin. <laughs> now, I, I love those donuts too, especially the little munchkins, especially the blueberry munchkins. Okay, so I'm not telling you don't shop there. Of course, you don't even know where it is. There's no way you can figure out what I'm talking about. But the point I'm trying to make is when God offers grace, it's free. It doesn't require the purchase of a small beverage. Why? Because we didn't have any money in our dead pockets. There wasn't something we could offer to God and say, is this good enough? Because anything we could have offered, he would have said no. So what is good enough? Jesus. The only thing that could satisfy a holy God was his son dying on the cross. That's how much he loved us. That's what grace cost God. What does grace cost you? Nothing. What does grace cost God? His son. Jesus really died. Jesus really took the weight of the sin of the world upon his shoulders. Jesus really was in anguish on the cross. He wasn't play acting. He really died. But he's made us alive together with. And these three words I want you to get, all of them are together with. In fact, that's one word. Made us alive together with is one word. He's made us alive together with Christ. By grace. He's raised us up with him. So God is speaking of something that we haven't seen take place yet as though it's already taken place. The tense of the word that he uses means it's a completed fact with continuing results. We're raised up with Christ. When Jesus got out of the tomb 2,000 years ago, you got up with him. And he seated us with him. Last week or week before, we talked about Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. Where are we? We're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You and I don't see that yet. But that's what God sees for you. Because in his mind, it's an accomplished fact with continuing results. That's where you are. So as bad as this picture was, you are dead. You need to receive that. It was bad. But now look at how good it is. Because of God's mercy, because of his love, because of his grace, he's called us to himself. And the moment I trust Christ as my Lord and Savior, I'm forgiven. I'm raised up with Christ. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. The ultimate fulfillment of all that will happen in heaven one day, but as far as God's concerned, it's already happened. It's done. It's settled. He's raised us up. He's seated us with him in the heavenly places. That's the realm of God. That's where your citizenship is. We have a lot of talk in politics about immigration, illegal immigrants. You and I are kind of like illegal immigrants now. This really isn't our home anymore. Our home is with God in heaven. And we're already seated there. And the last thing is the so that. And I just love verse 7. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Listen, all of this is for God's glory. It's really not about you, it's about him. 
is his demonstration of his love, his mercy, his grace. He's got a display. He intends to demonstrate the exceeding riches of his grace for eternity. The surpassing riches of his grace. Literally the throw beyond the usual mark. This is something apart from God nobody's ever experienced and you can't experience it apart from him. But with him, it's thrown beyond the usual mark. And it's all again in Christ Jesus. Bottom line, God one day says, look at what I did with this mess. Last passage. You got your Bibles. Look at Revelation. I just want to give you a picture again. I'll close with this. Revelation 7. John catches a glimpse of heaven and writes it to us in Revelation. Chapter 7, 9 through 12. I, I hope you've got the picture this morning. But here's the so that. Here's what takes place in heaven to the glory of God. Chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and elders and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's the picture of you if you are in Christ. Because you are in Christ. That's the picture for eternity as God displays what he's done in his mercy and his grace. Let's pray together. In just a moment, we're going to close with worship, and I pray today, as you sing, you would sing to a God who's worthy. You would join with those in heaven that would worship around the throne. But let's pray, Father, thank you. God, I pray we really get the before and the after picture. If we're apart from Christ, we're dead. So if someone's here that's never trusted you as their Lord and Savior, they've never, never come to you in saving faith, you're drawing them to yourself today. I pray they come. But God, for the believers in this room, would they see the picture of themselves as true? That they are receivers of your mercy, your grace, your love. And it's a demonstration of who God is. Thank you for that in Jesus' name.